0: You know, as I think back over the last 150 years of our church family's history, the story really fascinates me. I think it's just incredible to think back over some of the things that God has done over the last 150 years of our church family's existence. I think about how in 1930 our church family began meeting at 10th and main it had already been in existence for over 50 years and they received this new property built a new facility it began to serve the lord and minister out of that location and they continued to grow and, and trust the lord Such that they reached people in the community and grew to the point where in the mid-80s, they had to make a critical decision. They made a decision in the mid-80s, 1986, January of 1986, to purchase a piece of property way out west of town on Highway 29. I don't know if they realized in the moment how significant that decision was, but I'm convinced they knew that that decision was not about 1986 alone. I know that they knew that decision about 1986 was for the future as much as it was for that moment. Maybe they knew in that moment it was more about the future than for 1986. And when we look back on that critical decision that was made by our church family over 30 years ago, I think it's safe to say that we can all say that that was was a decision that was made that was more about us in 2019 than it was about them in 1986. I mean, can you imagine our community today if what we enjoy as our church family, didn't exist. I mean, what would our community be like if none of this existed for the last 30-plus years? And, And I've just got to tell you, I am grateful that our church family has set a precedent for making decisions in the moment that have more to do with the next 50 years than the moment they make the decision. And here we are, 152 years into our history, and so we're right at the front edge of the next 50 years. And I'm excited about walking through the book of Joshua with you because the book of Joshua is so much about the next 50 plus years, taking new land. And making decisions in the moment that have more to do with generations knowing the Lord than just our knowing the Lord. This last week we actually discovered some relic of the past. I had uh, commissioned the search for an offering envelope. The oldest one we could find. Guess what we came up with? We came up with this envelope. And uh, it's, that's actually the fourth Sunday in April envelope from the mid-1980s. The time when that critical decision was made that today all of us enjoy the fruit of. And I want you to notice a couple things about this offering envelope because I think there's lessons to be learned when you take a glimpse into history. And I want you to notice the two things you could give to through an offering envelope. You give to the budget. What does the budget do? The budget funds ministry for the current year. So you are being asked as a church family to give 10% of your income to fund the current year ministry. Additionally, you are asked to consider what the Lord might lay on your heart to give over and above your regular tithe 10% 10% of your income, to this thing called Together We Build, which was about the future. So the church family was giving for today, but the church family was also ge- being given opportunity to give for tomorrow. That, that was one of the things that they were presenting at the time they made the decision that has resulted in what we experience now as our church family. I think that's pretty cool. Then notice on this offering envelope, there are a couple things that they were measuring. Now, they measured these things out of a small group experience. There's some fine print up there. It says, if used in Sunday school, fill out the spaces below. So there's, there's there's a philosophy here, a value here. We want you to be in a small group. And when you're in a small group, here's the things we want you to measure. So so way back in 1985 86 when they're making decisions that would affect The next 50 years in such a significant way, we all can't imagine what it would be like if they had not made the decision. They were funding today and they were funding tomorrow. And out of a small group experience, they were measuring these two things. Notice what they're measuring. Look on the far left of the envelope. They're measuring how many visits you made, how many phone calls you made, how many cards you wrote, how many notes you wrote. They didn't measure email at that time. Um, you know, but they were measuring contacts that you made with people outside the church. Then the second thing that they were measuring now—that this is really interesting—notice the middle section at the bottom there when it says you—you know—you can you can fill out your grade every Sunday, you're giving yourself a grade. Some people could fail. (laughs) Like it's possible to come to church on Sunday morning, fill out your envelope and realize I am a failure. (laughs) I think it might actually benefit the response time. If we all recognize there are some days we just are failing and we need the grace of God big time, right? But you could give yourself a grade here and the grades that you gave yourself on any given Sunday really measured the level of engagement you had within a small group community of believers in the church. So think about this. You had an opportunity to fund today, but you also had an opportunity to fund tomorrow because we're more concerned about tomorrow than we are today. And we're really funding today so that tomorrow can be something absolutely amazing. And when we gather, we're measuring these two things. Do we care about people outside these walls that are not here with us in this moment experiencing the Lord's work? And will we engage in community, in a small group, around my experiences in God's word? I just think it's really interesting that those are the values. Those are the things they're measuring. That's what's being communicated just simply by looking at an offering envelope from the period of time when perhaps the most critical decision was ever made that affects us in this moment today in 2019. So today we're going to pick up Joshua in Joshua 3 which is right at the end of the spies coming back to Joshua, reporting about their experience in Jericho. And the spies tell Joshua, Joshua, God's going to give us the land. The people are terrified in the land. God's going to give us the land. And so Joshua's going to gather the people at the edge of the Jordan River. And we're going to read about that story together. So let's read in Joshua chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm reading today from the Christian Standard Bible. And we're going to just read through pieces of this story together and talk through it. And begin to think about what river do we need to cross? in order to take new land. Here we go. Let's read it. Joshua chapter 3 verse 1. Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and they stayed there before crossing. So Joshua and all the Israelites, they get to the edge of the Jordan, the east side of the Jordan River. And there they are. And this is the culmination of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They've been wandering, waiting for the moment that God said, now is the time to go into new land. And that moment came and here they are on the edge of the river and the next 40 plus years of Israel's history. I feel like in a lot of ways that for me in my short time in our church family's history, I feel like that we have come to the edge of a river. And that we are on the precipice the edge of the next 50 years and new uncharted territory and i just resonate with this story and i find it incredibly encouraging to think about the excitement and the anticipation of crossing a river into uncharted territory look at verse 2. after three days the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God, carried by the Levitical priest, you were to break camp and follow it, but keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you haven't traveled this way before. Imagine with me, this amazing group of people, this large group of people gathered at the edge of this river, ready to cross over the river into new land that God had promised them. Here they are at the edge of the river, this anticipation and this excitement brimming to the to the rim of their lives and and they are excited to see what God is going to do and Joshua's sending out leaders in the camp to communicate words to them it's ready get ready we're going to break camp it, it had to feel like this amazing moment of excitement thrill and anticipation where this static electricity is just flowing through the camp and people are ready to see what God is going to do it's like that that scene in the movie Lord of the Rings Return of the King, I don't know if you've seen that movie, but Aragorn is there and he's standing in front of the people. He's, he's right there in front of the people and he says, I see in you the fear that would take the heart of me. He says, there's going to come a day when the courage may fail. But then he says, but this is not this day. This is a day of courage. Courage. And I can imagine after reading Joshua 1 and 2 and realizing this is the moment when Joshua stands before the people and says, there may come a day when we cower in fear, but not today. Not today. We are going to break camp and we are going to leave this side of the river and we are going to cross this river into new land And we are now at the edge of the point of no return. We're going to follow the Lord. No matter what. The leaders go through the camp and they tell them, we're going to break camp. I love those words. It's time to break camp. The camp you've been setting up. The the things you've been doing, guess what? We're not going to set up that camp again. We're not going to do those things again. We're crossing the river. And we're going into new land, land that you've never been in before. And so they're given this instruction. You see the ark of the Lord? You need to pay attention to the ark of the Lord as we pass through this because you've never been in this land before. This is uncharted territory. You're not going to know what to do or where to go unless you keep your eyes on the Lord and he happens to be with us. Now the commanders tell the people, you better keep a healthy distance from the ark. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One, they needed to keep their eyes on the ark and so the ark wasn't gonna be out front of them so everybody could see how the Lord's leading them into new land, but also there's this sense of, yes, God is with us, but God is not to be misunderstood as anything other than holy, deserving our full attention, fear, and reverence. Because we're going to encounter some things in the land that might make us feel afraid, but we better remember that nothing we encounter that instills in us some kind of fear should be feared more than God. We want to fear Him above all other fears. Look at verse 5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. So Joshua at the edge of the river tells the people, you need to consecrate yourselves today because tomorrow God's going to do wonders among you. And I love that concept that Joshua lays before the people. Tomorrow you're going to see something that you're simply not going to believe. Until you see it. And so today, you need to get your heart right. You need to do whatever it takes to make sure you're in a position where you're ready and expecting God to do something that only God can do. You need to consecrate your heart. You need to get ready today to see a river crossing in the wonders of God in a way that will blow your mind. Because listen, you will never take a step into new land until you first experience the wonders of God in a river crossing. So you need to get your heart right today so that tomorrow you're ready to see what only God can do. And boy, I take such encouragement from that because I I know that there are days when I wake up in the morning and I don't wake up with that kind of anticipation and expectation. And boy, I want that to be my heart, don't you? That you wake up every morning and every morning what you're saying is, Lord, today I want to consecrate my heart. I want to set aside some time to set my perspective correctly on what you're doing. And I want to today, right now this morning before I walk through my day, I want to believe that today could be the day that you take me across a river. I want to believe that today will be a day where I can see the wonders of God and that I will then be able to go into new territory for your glory in a way I never could have gone had I not seen your wonders. And today I'm just going to be expecting to see you do a wonder that changes the way I think about my day, the way I think about you. Oh, that we would be a people who consecrate ourselves every day because we believe that today just might be a river crossing into new territory. Look at verse 6. Then he said to the priests, Carry the Ark of the Covenant, go ahead of the people. So they carried the Ark of the Covenant, they went ahead of them, and the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so they will know that I will be with you just as I was with Moses. Command the priests, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the water, stand in the Jordan. Then Joshua told the Israelites, come closer. Listen to the words of the Lord your God. And he said, you will know that the living God is among you. And that he will certainly dispossess before you the Canaanites, the Hethites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. When the ark of the covenant of the Lord of the whole earth goes ahead of you into the Jordan... Now choose twelve men from the tribe of Israel, one man for each tribe. When the feet of the priests who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of the whole earth, come to rest in Jordan's waters, its waters will be cut off. The water flowing downstream will, ru- will stand up in a mass. When the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carried the ark of the covenant ahead of the people, now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. But as soon as the priests carrying the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge. And the water flowing downstream stood still, rising up in a mass that extended as far as Adam, a city next to Zerethan. The water flowing downstream into the Sea of Arabah, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off and the people crossed opposite Jericho, the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant <coughs> stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. Why, all Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. God tells them it's time to break camp because you're leaving this camp never to return. I'm going to take you across a river like you've never seen before. So keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. You're going into uncharted territory. You think about the fact that we're 40 years uh, coming out of the wilderness and everybody that was a part of this group that's now crossing the Jordan, the oldest of which would have been 18 or 19 years old when they crossed the Red Sea. The majority of them would not even remember a lot about crossing the Red Sea. And then you had these families with children that only had heard about crossing the Red Sea. In so many ways, this is a brand new experience for everybody. And God's asking them to trust him and take a step of faith into the river, which, by the way, was at flood stage. Have you ever stood beside a river that is chocolatey brown raging at flood stage and thought to yourself, I won't even get close enough to even risk falling into this water? Because you know that if you fall into a river at flood stage, your chances of surviving that are not really that good. And the Jordan River, in normal situation, is three to ten feet deep. Flood stage, it's enormous and it's raging. For the priest to step in carrying that heavy ark into a flood stage river, that takes some faith right there. Just to get into the water. they got to step into that flood river trusting that what the Lord said would come about. And when the priests stepped in there, into that water with that ark, the waters at flood stage going, if you look upstream, stand up in a huge wall and the water backs up some 30 miles to these little towns, Adam and Zareth. And now, can you imagine living in those towns on that day? You're just minding your own business. All of a sudden you look out, You you look out to the south and you look, my word, there's a lake out there now. This mass amount of water is just backing up into your town. you got to be thinking, what is going on downstream? Can you imagine what it would be like to be downstream on the Jordan River between the point of crossing and the Dead Sea? Maybe you're out for a picnic and maybe you're doing a little fishing. You're hanging out by the river just doing a little walk and all of a sudden there is no river. It just drains right in front of you. You gotta be thinking, what in the world's going on up there? All of Israel is seeing what's going on, it's the power of God. Resting on that place, causing all the waters to stand up on one side, drain on the other, and then God takes a land that was in flood stage moisture, dries it out so that the priests are standing with the ark on dry ground and all the Israelites cross over on dry ground. The dry ground is as much a miracle as the water standing up. It's unbelievable. Now think about what it would be like to be the Israelites, to cross through the Jordan with this massive mountain of water On one side and dry ground under your feet and an empty river bed as far as the eye could see. Imagine crossing through that how the excitement and the energy would be just filling your hearts. And the conversations that would be occurring And when you get to the other side of the river. Right on the edge of the new land. How excited would you be in that moment? How strong and courageous would you feel after seeing the wonders of God? Wouldn't you know he's with you and wouldn't you know he will lead you. It had to be amazing. When when we trust the Lord and we put our feet in a river, that stands before us separating us from new land. And we see God work a wonder that brings us across that river. That creates a moment that should be remembered. A moment that should never be forgotten. You know why I talk about 1985, 1986 so much lately? Because I've been reminded that we should not forget that moment. Because that's a moment where a people believed that God could part a river that they couldn't part without him. And we get to experience the blessing of it and we should not forget it. Look at Joshua chapter 4. After the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Choose 12 men from the people, one man for each tribe, and command them to take 12 stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan, where the priests are standing, carry them with you and set them down at the place where you spend the night. So Joshua summoned 12 men he had selected from the Israelites, one man for each tribe. And he said to them, go across to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you lift a stone onto his shoulder, one for each of the Israelite tribes, so that this will be a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? You should... Should tell them the water of the Jordan was cut off in front of the Ark of the Lord's covenant when it crossed the Jordan. The Jordan's water was cut off. Therefore, these stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. The Israelites did just as Joshua commanded them. Twelve men took twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, one for each of the Israelite tribes, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the camp and set them down there. Joshua also set up twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan, where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and the stones are still there today. The priests carrying the ark continued standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to tell the people, in keeping with all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people hurried across, and after everyone had finished crossing, the priests with the ark of the Lord crossed in sight of the people. The Reubenites, the Gadites, half the tribe of Manasseh went in battle formation in front of the Israelites as the Lord had instructed them. About 40,000 equipped for war crossed to the plains of Jericho in the presence of the Lord. Isn't that a fantastic scene? Can you imagine? picking the 12 guys to get big rocks, you're going to pick the biggest guy in the tribe because you want your tribe's rock to be the biggest and best rock of all 12, right? Because you know this is not any ordinary stone. This is not just any rock. This is the rock that you're going to choose that represents your whole tribe. This is the rock that's not only going to represent your whole tribe, but this is the rock that's supposed to generate questions from your kids. And your kids' kids. And your great-grandkids. And your great-great-grandkids. This is the rock that's supposed to cause people to say, what is that there for? And you got 12 guys are going out in the middle of the Jordan while the priests are standing there holding the ark and they got to pick out the right rock. Can't you imagine the thoughts in those guys' minds? I got to get the right rock. And they get that rock and it's so big they heave it up on their shoulders, and they carry it over, and they walk into camp, and they set down those 12 stones. Don't you is that guy set down his stone representing his tribe that somebody came up to him and said, Why would you pick that rock? What is that rock supposed to mean for us? He says, I picked that rock because this rock, if you look here, it's, it's like this. And I thought, man, when our kids ask about this rock, we could tell this story. I picked this rock because I, you just start talking about the significance of picking this rock so that our kids, when they ask. I love that the scripture says when our kids ask, not if. Isn't that true? It's not a matter of if they're going to ask questions. It's a matter of when they're going to ask. But notice here that God wants Parents and grandparents to provoke the right kinds of questions in their kids and grandkids. Mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, why why are these rocks here? I'll tell you why. I want you to hear what God has done. You know, over the next couple weeks, part of our vision is going to be unfolded by our family ministry. And our family ministry is going to communicate to our church family, a church family, an FBG discipleship plan. And I love this plan being displayed and put out there for us because it's going to be about creating milestones, about creating memorials, about creating moments where we can create the opportunity for the right kinds of questions to be asked within the relationships we have in our church family, within our families, from our kids and our grandkids so that we're asking the right questions and displaying the right memories of what God has done in the past so that we might follow him into tomorrow. We want to talk about the rivers of yesterday because we believe there are new rivers to cross out there tomorrow. And we believe there are new wonders that are going to propel us in new ways like never before, not only for us, but for the next 50 plus years. We're gonna to get to do that in the next couple weeks. It's gonna be awesome. God's people, they, they took these stones, they gathered them up and they're sitting in camp. And let's finish up the reading here on that day, verse 14, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. They revered him throughout his life as they revered Moses. So why did God work the wonder of crossing the river? For Joshua. He did it for Joshua, but he also did it for the people. He exalted Joshua that day so that the people would know that God is with Joshua and the people be reminded that God is with them. He did it for Joshua, he did it for the people. Look at verse 15, the Lord told Joshua, command the priest to carry the ark out of the Jordan to come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, come up from the Jordan. When the priests carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant came up from the middle of the Jordan, their feet stepped out onto solid ground and the water of the Jordan resumed its course, flowing over all the banks as before. The people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they camped at Gilgal on the eastern limits of Jericho. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken from the Jordan. You know what? Gilgal means, it means freedom. The Lord said, I want you to cross that river, but you got to step in the water. When they stepped in the water, God parted what only he could part in a way that only he could part it. And after they saw the wonders of God, they took those stones and they put them in the place called freedom to remind them when God parts a river and we walk through it, we walk into freedom every time. Verse 21, he said to the Israelites in the future, when your children ask their fathers, what is the meaning of these stones? Second time he's telling them this, you should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan River before you until you had crossed over just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. You know the big difference between the Israelites crossing the Red Sea and the Israelites crossing the Jordan River? Can you imagine mom or dad telling their kids about the stones and saying, we, we once crossed the Red Sea. When we crossed the Red Sea, we were all terrified because we had an enemy right behind us in Egypt that were threatening to kill us all. We are trapped against the Red Sea, and we didn't know how we'd get through, but God delivered us. We were terrified. But when we stood on the edge of the Jordan River, you know what? The enemies in front of us were the ones who were terrified. We were not terrified. We were excited because we knew that the Lord would work a wonder and take us into new land. And we were ready to follow him. And he did it. And we've never been the same. God did it for Joshua he did it for the people but he did it for their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids in fact he did it for more than that look at verse 24 this is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty and so that you may always fear the Lord your God God did it for them, but he also did it for the rest of the earth for generations to come. And that is the story of God for every generation of his people. And I want that to be our story. So let me encourage you with a couple things. Personally, every one of us needs to create patterns in our life where we are consecrating ourselves with an expectation that if we take a step of faith into the flood waters, that God's going to part some rivers for us. And we're going to see his wonders that changes our lives more than that, generations to come. I I think it's critical that as a church family, we literally start consecrating ourselves around the prospect of crossing rivers that could otherwise never be crossed. There's something to be said when an entire church family is so anticipating the wonders of God as we trust Him to go into the new land that we every day wake up saying, today, God, I'm expecting to see a river crossing wonder because I know there are people out there that you want me to share with and I need to see that you are with me and that you will lead me and I need to be reminded today and I'm just gonna expect that you're gonna open my eyes to your wonders so that I see the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a way today that propels me into the new land of the people you've put around. And then, when you get to cross some rivers, tell some people about it. I, w- I want to tell you one real quick story. I know we're running low on time here, but let me tell you this one real quick story. A couple Sundays ago, I told you about the fear of failure in my life. You remember that? If you were here a couple of weeks ago when we worked through Joshua chapter 2? Failure as a pastor. And I talked about Joshua, strong and courageous, right? On Tuesday morning, I gathered with the Board of Trustees at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary for our final board meeting where I was presiding as the chairman of the board. Praise God, that was my final one. <laughs> and so I'm presiding over that, and I give time for the current and new president of the seminary to come and speak to the trustees. You know what he does? He stands up and he he opens his Bible. He says, I want to read today from Joshua chapter 1. He reads Joshua 1 and he says these words. I thank God for our chairman who has been a strong and courageous leader. My heart just melted. Like nobody in that room knew what was happening in that moment. But here's what I felt like was happening. I felt like on Sunday I put my feet in the river. And on Tuesday morning, God parted the sea and I walked through on dry ground. And I just want to tell you, that's a memorial stone for me. And I'm telling you that today because I want you to tell others about the wonders of God you're seeing in your life. Because until we're talking about what God is doing in small groups of people who are gathering together to seek the Lord, we're not going to be worried about telling anybody else outside these doors about what God is doing. And we are here precisely... To go into the land and tell people about Jesus. We got a couple of rivers as a church family. We got to cross before we get into the land. You know what the two biggest ones are? Our debt, number one. Four million dollars worth of debt. Here's what we're doing. We're paying for the decisions of yesterday at the expense of the opportunities for tomorrow. I am grateful to God for the decisions of yesterday. Don't hear me wrong. But I believe God wants us to pay off the decisions of yesterday faster than we could do it without Him parting the river so that we can leverage all that we are for the decisions of tomorrow. Maybe God's calling you to put your feet in the water of that one. Second big river I think we got to cross preferences and the fear of losing what we like. I've learned one thing about our church family since I've gotten here. I've learned that we like what we like and we want what we like. <laughs> and I think that's true of any generation of the church. You can go back through all of history and you're going to find the same thing. We're not different than anybody else. We like what we like. We want what we like. But, but here's what I think God is saying to us. You've got to cross the river of what you like you got to break camp, and you got to leave behind what you've been doing, and you got to trust me to take you off the map into uncharted territory. And will you be more concerned with what I want to do in 2069 than you are with what you want me to do in 2019? It's not that God doesn't care about us. It's just the best way to experience God's care for us is for us to care about God's glory in 50 plus years. And oh, I long to be a part of that story, amen.